and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to look at a rather fascinating paranormal theory that suggests the most boring of ghost stories could, in fact, be some of the scariest. Yes, the most boring, the most dull, the most uneventful ghost stories you can think of might, in fact, be the scariest. They are the ones that might, just might, make you think twice about turning off the bedroom light when you go to sleep this evening. And so, to begin at the beginning... And while I appreciate that by starting this episode by telling you the story you are about to hear is going to be boring isn't the most enticing of introductions, please bear with me, I promise you there is a twist in the tale, a twist in the theory, I should say, that will surprise you, at least I hope it surprises you, it might even terrify you, so yes, On the one hand, the ghost story itself might not seem like the most eventful, but you do not want to miss the big reveal. Because whether you believe in ghosts or not, this might just might change your bedroom routine. And this story and theory comes to us courtesy of the Welsh occult journalist, which is an amazing job title. I really want that. Right now, I'm a plain old Welsh journalist. I would love to be a Welsh occult journalist. But the occult journalist in question is Mary Lewes, who was writing in the early 20th century, so some roughly a 100 years ago now. And I featured a few of her stories on previous episodes. And one of the frustrating from our point of view things that she does is she quite often changes the names of the locations to protect the innocent, to protect the people living there at the time. Now, of course, in our day and age, All of those people are presumably ghosts themselves by this point. But as such, we do have some fake names that are used for the places here. But I'll begin the tale and point these out as we go along. And she tells us that high up in one of the wildest and loveliest valleys that pierce the Athineth Mountains is a house which we will call Nant Arevel. Nant Arevel, which, as she says, we will call Nant Arevel, so that is not its real name, sadly. But if you did want to put your detective hat on and try and work out where this might be, we do have a suitably eerie, a nice dark gothic description, perfect for such a story of this place. So maybe, just maybe, it will help you identify it. And the description itself, she tells us, is so beautiful that one would like to linger in description of a place possessing a unique charm, which must appeal to all who appreciate the enchantment of beautiful scenery surrounding a house rich in literary and romantic association. See, I told you it was going to be a nice description. It's very romantic. It's very poetic. It sounds like Shelley and Byron are going to rock up at any moment. And to continue, such a place without a ghost would be incomplete. And accordingly, it has the reputation of being most respectably haunted and by more than one spook. So this description gets better and better. Not only is it the ideal 
had for a budding romantic poet, it is haunted, and not by a single spook, as she calls them, but by many spooks. But on the downside, her secrecy is going to kick in once more, because she tells us that for reasons of discretion, I cannot relate the most interesting occult incidents connected with Nantarevel. So sadly, the most interesting ghost stories are not going to be on this episode, but I did warn you this is the boring episode. But to continue, and she does tell us that to pass its gates, to pass the gates of Nantarevel without mention of any one of its revenants would be impossible. And so the following short tale shall be told. So while she is teasing us by telling us this place is full of really good spooky ghost stories or occult incidents as she describes them, she is unfortunately sworn to secrecy and she can only tell us one of them. What a tease. And the one we are allowed to hear or read in my case to hear in your case is this one. And we're told that rather more than two years ago, so remember this was roughly a hundred years ago, so in the early 1900s, a certain lady went to stay at this mountain abode, taking her maid brown with her, a person one is assured of average intelligence and not overburdened with imagination. So talk about not bigging up your workers. This lady's maid, who is called Brown, presumably that's her surname, Ms. Brown, was of average intelligence and not overburdened with imagination. And so it was that one evening during the visit, about nine o'clock, Brown had occasion to go up to the front staircase in order to fetch something required by her mistress. She had been sent back upstairs in the late evening to collect something for her mistress because, well, because that's her job. She was a maid. And it was halfway up the stairs that she stopped. She paused for descending towards her came an elderly man with a long grey beard. Standing respectfully on one side, Brown allowed him to pass, wondering, meanwhile, who he could be, as she did not remember having seen such a noticeable figure about the house before. He walked past Brown, and continuing his way down, the old gentleman reached the foot of the staircase and disappeared round a corner into the hall. He walked very slowly, and the maid, looking round after he passed her, saw to her great surprise, that his clothes were of the most extraordinary and antiquated cut. And at this point in the story, if you've ever heard any other ghost stories ever, you're probably getting a little bit suspicious about this figure. An old man walking very slowly down the stairs who says nothing, there's no hellos, there's no thank yous, wearing some strange clothes as if from some century gone by, who then just disappears around the corner. This is certainly setting off the potentially 
paranormal alarm bells, as it were. The warning signs are here. And this maid, as she's walking up the stairs, if she was carrying a PKE meter with her, maybe it would be beeping and flipping up in the air and setting off lights and things about now. There is certainly something suspicious. But to continue with the tale for now, because Brown continues upstairs again, picks up whatever it was she was sent up there to pick up. And with her errands dispatched, Brown found her way back to the housekeeper's room, where she remarked to the butler that she had just seen such an odd-looking gentleman coming downstairs, adding that she supposed he must have arrived by some late train and was going down to get some dinner. To which the butler promptly replied that no new visitor at all had arrived at Nantarevel that day. And when Brown described the long beard and quaint garments of the man she had seen, she was assured there was no one in the least resembling her description in the house. Yet the maid knew she had not been dreaming and that she actually had seen the old gentleman and that, moreover, he had brushed past her as she waited at the angle of the stairs while he went slowly by. So, our narrator tells us, it would appear that what Brown really saw was an apparition, one of those household ghosts with which many an old mansion is peopled, adding, and this is quite an important part of her theory that is coming up, adding, could we but see them? So these mansions are peopled by such spirits, could we but see them? She is suggesting these houses are full of these ghosts. These stately old mansions are peopled with such ghosts, could we but see them? And she continues by saying that these ghosts specifically are harmless and timid. These are timid ghosts. They are on no mission to terrify. They are not like modern day ghosts in horror films. These are harmless, timid. They have no grievances to air. In fact, they are just indulging in a little earthly hankering for an occasional visit to the scenes they loved in life, which is another description I love. She uses some lovely language in setting the scene and setting out her ideas, but they are, these ghosts in these old houses are just indulging a little earthly hankering for an occasional visit to the scenes they loved in life. So, Overlooking the fact that Brown did suggest she brushed against this man, which might suggest a non-paranormal explanation, but that is not something that even crosses the mind of our occult journalist. She is convinced this is a ghostly encounter, so we are going to go down that route. And she tells us this is a good example that ghostly encounters need not be scary and exciting, because in this case it certainly wasn't scary or exciting. It was just what appeared to be an old man, maybe a slightly doddery, slow man with a big, long grey beard and some out-of-fashion clothes just walking down the stairs that is as exciting as it got. What, however, is more interesting are the questions that it poses, because 
If you choose to believe in ghosts, and I imagine a few people listening to this podcast do indeed believe in ghosts, while a lot of the media nowadays is very much focused on scary ghost stories, because frankly, ghost stories about doddery old men just walking down the stairs doing nothing aren't the best form of entertainment. If you went to see a movie about an old man toddering down the stairs, it wouldn't be a blockbuster. The same goes for TV shows for online videos, whatever they might be, ghosts need to be exciting, they need to be scary, they need to be terrifying to hold your attention. But quite frankly, our occult investigator suggests that the vast majority of ghostly encounters must be extremely mundane affairs. I mean, they might be scary when you twig and realise, oh, maybe, maybe that old man was a ghost. But it appears to be a ghost just idling about. This is a ghost stretching its legs. And who can blame them, frankly, if any of us were stuck in the same place forever and ever and ever? Every now and then, you might think, do you know what? I'm going to get up and walk down the stairs. And our narrator poses this question to us. Do many people, I wonder, know the strange, uncanny feeling it gives one to return to a sitting room at night after the lights have been out and the house quiet for an hour or so. So you can picture the scene. The house is in darkness. Everyone is asleep. And to continue, one descends to fetch a forgotten book, maybe. And pushing open the door, one wishes the candle gave a better light that would reach those far dark corners. And I'm sure you can all picture this scene for yourself. You've left a book downstairs and you go down to find it, but it's darkness and you wish your candle was a little bit brighter to fill all those eerie corners of the room. Now, of course, nowadays we do have electric lighting and maybe if we'd left a book downstairs, we might go down and flick the light switch on. However, maybe that's not appropriate. Maybe you don't want to disturb the other people who are sleeping in your house. Maybe you're sneaking quietly to the bathroom in the middle of the night and the last thing you want to do is disturb the rest of the household by just lighting it up like Blackpool Illuminations, which um, is, is probably quite an obscure reference to make to an international audience. If you are not of a certain age and you are not in Britain, that might mean nothing to you. Go and do a quick internet search for Blackpool Illuminations. But frankly, if you are sneaking around your house in the middle of the night and you share it with other people, and you need some illumination. Maybe you're not using a candle nowadays, but let's say you've got the, the, the dim light on your phone instead to lead the way, rather than just going around, flicking on switches and not giving a damn. And even if the places you are going to are very familiar, you, you're probably overly familiar with walking in and out of your own living room or your own kitchen. But nevertheless, our narrator, our occult journalist, tells us that if that room has been empty for some time, if that room has been left in darkness, it can become peopled, yes, peopled by something. It is peopled by, 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 by what? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So she is suggesting that when you walk into these familiar rooms in the darkness at the dead of night, do they feel in some way populated by something? Well, she says that is the impression I have had. And very odd it is. And one cannot help wondering whether 
at the very witching time of night, these gentle ghosts that Shelley writes of really do creep out of the invisible and return for a little space to the human atmosphere, which perhaps some of them may have left many a year ago with regret and sorrow. So, like I said, a lot to unpack, but she is suggesting that when you walk into these spaces, not only do you get this feeling, this uncanny feeling that there might be something there, she is suggesting that yes, there really is something there, something paranormal. But the reason we don't get too freaked out about it, the reason you don't lose your mind every time you walk into your bedroom in the darkness, is because the ghosts are, frankly, to put it bluntly, a bit boring. They're not doing any harm. They're not looking to scare you. They're not looking for trouble. They're not looking for anything. They just happen to be dead and they have nothing else to do. Their entire life, if you can call it that, maybe existence is a better word. Their entire existence is boring. It's a bit dull. And I did promise a twist because that in and of itself is what might make them so scary. These dull, boring ghosts are not out to terrify you. They are just simply there, watching and waiting forever and ever. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, what could be scarier than knowing that if you wake up at 2am in the morning and you need to creep to the bathroom, while the house might seem to be silent, nothing is stirring, not even a mouse, and you can barely see your own nose in front of your face. How would you feel if you knew that the lost souls of generations of people before you that have lived in that house, died in that house, or maybe lived and died on the land where your house now stands are right there with you. They are all around you in the darkness. And they have no purpose. They have no message to communicate. No news to share. No good stories, bad stories. No scenes to recreate like something out of a Shakespearean play. They have no murders to avenge. They have no hidden treasure to tell you of. They have no diabolical plots to warn you of. They have nothing. They are there for no reason whatsoever other than the fact that they are dead and you are alive. And when you yourself are no longer of this earth, maybe you will join them and you will no longer be stumbling around in the dark. Rather, you will be lurking in it and watching as others attempt to do so. And while I always like to leave you on an uplifting, cheerful note. And as things stand, all I've really given you is the fear that when you do shuffle off this mortal coil, all that lays ahead of you from now until eternity is a dull, monotonous afterlife. Just floating around, watching people creeping around in the middle of the night because they had one too many hot chocolates or glasses of wine before going to sleep. Well, I have thought of one single positive way to wrap things up, just in case you were starting to feel a little bit too nervous about turning off the bedside light before falling to sleep. Because I should stress that the theory that you've heard on this episode is, of course, just a single 
theory. And there are many, many other theories out there, some of which we've heard on this podcast in the past, some of which we will hear in the future. And maybe, just maybe, the afterlife really is all hanging around on clouds and discussing music with Mozart for all eternity, and absolutely nothing like the one described on this episode. Although, in the interest of balance, maybe it's exactly like you've heard on this episode. And on that uplifting note, or nearly uplifting note, we've reached the end of another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed it and you haven't already, please consider pressing the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever. And if you really enjoyed it, you can support the podcast by rating it, reviewing it, telling all your friends about it. And if you really, really, really enjoyed it and you want to support it going forward, you can treat me to a coffee via my website, which is always very much appreciated and goes towards keeping this on air. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, like Ghosts of Wales, Paranormal Wales, The Eight to Set of Curious Wales, etc., 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 which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, the next time you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel something uncanny in the darkness, don't be scared and don't be frightened. Because if indeed you are surrounded by the ghosts of the past, you can at least be rest assured that whatever they are doing is fantastically boring. So just ignore them and go back to sleep. And as regular listeners will know, I end every episode of this podcast since I started it many years ago now. I finish every episode by wishing you no star. By wishing you good night in Welsh. And it's become something of a care choice. I've had people say no star to me in cafes and things, which is which is lovely, but slightly weird, because that is, frankly, the last place I want to be sleeping. That's the whole point of the coffee, to stop me from sleeping. But I finish every episode by wishing you no star. But this time, I really, really mean it. Good night. Sleep tight. Don't let the bedbugs or the boring ghosts bite. And until next time, no star.